0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
2: My guest today is Dan York, the Director of Data Transparency in the Office of Governmentwide Policy in the General Services Administration. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Great. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about the IT dashboard. Uh, I know that maybe is a little surprising to you or even anyone that we want to talk about this, but this is a really important change that you all have been working on for the past year or two. So let's start right at the beginning. The new IT dashboard's coming soon to a theater near you. What should we look for? What's changing? Give me the basics.
0: Yeah, we're super excited about our work. The original, the legacy federal IT dashboard, was developed by OMB OFCIO back in 2009, right? That's when it it hit the airwaves, as it were. The idea was for it to provide agencies and the public with more visibility into how IT was spent, right? Where where their IT dollars were going, and the overall health of, of IT investments and and initiatives. And then as FATARA came along a little bit, a lot later to help OMB meet their re- reporting requirements under FATARA, um, the legacy IT dashboard is is been around for a while, you know. Uh, some number of years now, 12, 13 years, and it, it, the costs of it were growing, the maintenance cost, the tech debt, uh, the ability to make, keep it secure and viable. And one thing you've, you've probably noticed is that there are actually several dashboards, right? You always had to hit the, the MyIT button to go back to the previous year and so on. And so one of the things we wanted to do was ensure that the, the data would be longitudinal in nature. That is to say that you can track money over periods of time without having to jump to another site and then jump to another site and jump to another site. So it's uh, really excited about the work we've done and, and happy to to walk you through it.
2: I had to admit when I when you talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago at an ACT-IAC event and and there was some excitement of course about it. I said I said so when was this launched? It was like 2011, 2012, right? And I went back and said, wow, t- 2009. Had there
0: been some minor updates between then and now, or they is- have. they OMB took a really tried to, to update the dashboard a, a few times, twice that I can recall over the years, give it a facelift and and update the data standards, etc. But there's only there's only so much paint you put on a car before. The transmission goes, right? It doesn't necessarily fix the underlying tech debt of, of an application. So we, we went ahead and, and actually split it up, right? We split up the, the backend sort of data input from agency-facing from the public consumption, the external-facing. So it'll, it'll wind up being two applications. Of course, the public will only ever sort of see the one, but uh, behind the scenes, there'll be two, uh, the IT Collect API, which will be agency-facing API-only application that is the data ingester, and then the the front end will be the ODP visualization platform, which is what the public will know as the federal IT dashboard. Right when they go to itdashboard.gov, they'll see all the pretty pictures that the visualization platform has to offer. We use you know agile software me- development methodologies, humor centered design, iteratively meeting with our stakeholders and customers, testing wireframes, testing UATs, bringing the feedback back. You know a wireframe is a lot cheaper than a, than a developer. So making sure we did all the best practices in terms of the U.S. digital services, web standards, and 508 accessibility compliance. We're hoping the public will like it. Absolutely. Uh, Easier to navigate, uh, much improved search capability, an advanced search capability that allows you to type in a keyword and then filter down by agency or by cost or by CIO rating or whatever. So if you don't know quite what you're looking for, but you want to see more about a thing, you can search the whole federal government uh, IT portfolio for a couple of keywords and and filter down. Interactive visualizations, there's a the uh, agency analysis pages will allow the user to select sort of which data points within a set they want to see and then which agencies they want to see them for and then sort of toggle on and off. So you can create some custom visualizations or custom data sets within um, within a range. Uh, so that that we're hoping will be of great value as well as the ability to, to access the data directly. So the AP, IT Collect API Uh, we'll have a public API uh, posted on data.api.gov that agencies can interface with, the front-end tool interfaces with, and potentially the public interface with, right? So you can get the same pull of data that the front-end tool is getting just by hitting the public API. So these are all things that we're hoping to get the, make the data that the government already collects more available, more transparent, more visible, and hopefully uh, a little more ingestible as well. Uh, But frankly, the benefits aren't just for the public, right? The public is obviously a major stakeholder, but as our um, GAO agencies and OMB, uh, agencies will benefit from having a single place to submit the data right through the IT Collect API. No more sort of email this stuff and upload that stuff and max collect for other stuff. The hope is to have one place to ingest it and then likewise for OMB to have one place to go see it so they don't have to sort of hunt around for the data that they're collecting sort of throughout the, the federal IT space. We're really looking forward to it and, uh, and hope the public is as much out of it as, as we've put in. Let
2: me take a half a step back. Uh, I want to start with the agency side. Uh, I'm glad you explained what it is. A lot of people hear APIs and, and we know application programming interfaces, whatever that is, the piece of code. How did you create the API? I'm not looking for the bits and bytes side of it, but I imagine not everyone had the same data standards or, or not every budget system could handle the API. was there a lot of that kind of back end work that you had to do before you could get to the API?
0: Yeah, there's definitely standards put in place, right? It's like anything else in life. Without without knowing how much a dollar costs, you don't know how much you're paying for milk, right? Like so you need to you need to have some basis of understanding of, of what the standards are before you can even even continue. Luckily on the on the CPIC side, the capital planning investment control side, a lot of those data standards were existing already. And a lot of the, the agency tool sets for submitting that data to the legacy site we're, we're already used to making updates and so we did actually launch internal to government this past fall in august of 2021 to enable agencies and systems to begin to interact with it in a live fashion um we had actually published the api standard almost a full year before that so the agency tool sets had an opportunity to to begin the develop and ask questions and and uh, we could iterate on the standard as needed because uh we, we're we're in an agile fashion, you know the first thing you, you do isn't always the, the most perfect, uh, and there's always ways to improve upon it. And taking that feedback from agencies and from tool vendors on how best to incorporate their changes and feedback uh, was very valuable as we went through the process. As you mentioned, there's a lot more to it than just the, the pretty graph on the screen, right? It's where does the data come from? How does it get there? What does the data mean? And uh, creating the standards across the API, um, particularly along the, along the lines of validation. Right, the one thing an API allows you to do is to is to make sure the data is is of a certain quality. You can't put numbers where text goes. You can't put text where numbers go. You can't have your uh, project cost more than your investment. Right? There are certain things that you can have a start date after an end date type of deal. There are certain validations you can build in to ensure at least one pass of data quality that hopefully makes it the data the public sees even richer. Right? That that less less try to figure out what the real thing is and and more that this is what the agency is actually reporting
2: it's good to hear you started testing this last fall uh obviously it's went well enough because we're talking about it today w- were there some changes some hiccups along the way that you said okay that that's an area to improve okay that worked better than we thought Any, anything you can uh shed some light on
0: system integration is uh is always the hardest thing to do and it, it always comes right there at the very end <laughs> so uh all the best laid plans are only as good as until the, the first shot is fired, right? And, and so, yeah, we had integration with with agency tool sets, with, with on our own tool tool set, uh, making sure the data we're pulling, so what's being displayed, making sure the displays were, were calculating the right things. But even, uh, even front-end stuff, you know, making sure we're using the right color schema across the site to ensure 508 compliance for, for those that may be visually impaired or, or other such things. So it, it, there's always hiccups along the way, and then you have your normal agency ATO stuff and making sure you're as secure as you can be and firewall uh, issues. You'd be surprised how many things just come down to a simple firewall issue. Like The site's I, running, but you can't see it. things like that.
2: I, I could only imagine. It's good to hear that. Obviously, things progressed well. How, how big of a lift has this been or will this be for agencies? I mean, with the API, you think it's going to be easier the way you explained it, but uh, do, do you expect... The agency data to get better do you expect that the apis will will make fewer data calls that that's another area kind of the, the of the benefit of, of the new data yeah dashboard.
0: Our, our hope is as this matures right so at go live it really is just the cpic data that we started with in the legacy dashboard but we were able to expand it's easily expandable right so that we can add additional data sets on um, and there is a cost to that right there's, there's a, a physical development cost for us but also a, a cost at the agency side to develop the tool sets to be able to submit data to the API, particularly for those data calls that are now manually entered into a place or emails are entered and sent off. So there is a a cost to to getting those systems built and upgraded and and in place to begin with. But then once they are, you take away all that that manual low ROI work, right? You you don't need a person hand jamming XML code. You, You can build that into the system itself. Which then enables those those people to go do people work and allow the machines to do the machine work, uh, which is which is really what it comes down to, right? Is is using uh, not only it physical resources but it human resources in the best possible manner to to be most effective for the agency. So as I mentioned at GoLive, it will be mostly CPIC, but we're working with OMB and agency partners to identify additional data sets that we can enter in over a period of time, so we can build and scale this and really become the spot where. The public will go to see IT data. I, I should mention that we don't we don't want to be the one system to rule them all, right? We don't need one dashboard that has every possible data set you could ever imagine. But we do want to be the place where you can go. And if we have the data, great. And if you don't, we show you where it is, <laughs> right? CISA uh, is going to have their own IT security related data and dashboards. I have no need to own CISA data, but I'd love to be able to point you to it right? Uh, that, that, that type of thing. So the data that we can ingest via API and display, great. The data that is submitted directly to us and we have in-house in our databases, we can display, great. The data that we can't, let me show you where it is. So the, you know, again, agencies have one place to go, the public has one place to go, and hopefully we can streamline sort of the, the transparency efforts.
2: As someone who is a big fan of the dashboards, I I spend a lot of time on the GSA GWAC dashboards, for instance, that I know uh, the Federal Acquisition Service puts out there, which I also enjoy spending time on. Uh, I do appreciate being able to point it in that right direction. So uh, it's good to hear that. Something to look forward to. Dan, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Dan York, the Director of Data Transparency for the Office of Governmentwide Policy in the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan York, the Director of Data Transparency in the Office of Government-Wide Policy in the General Services Administration. Let's flip it now uh, as a user of this dashboard, as somebody that, that goes there quite often. What am I going to see differently? You went through some of it. You went through some user testing. Have you Did you talk to people like me who say, I love the dashboard, make it better? How did you kind of understand what people wanted or the public may want?
0: Absolutely. We did, in fact, identify uh, sort of three primary uh, user groups. You have agencies, OMB, and even OMB's got different sort of factions within themselves, which is the O side and the, the management side and the budget side, uh, as well as GAO. We had GAO testers as well. We weren't able to identify public testers just because of, of how the whole thing was constructed, but then we did. We went through wireframes with these three different user groups in various sessions. We built the wireframes into a test site and they they uat those uh, the user acceptance tested the those sites we iterated on that and repeat right so every time you every time we went to build out a new piece of functionality we'd show them a picture see if it made sense we'd build a piece of it see if that made sense and iterate uh, on our three week sprints just to make sure we were always always staying and building what they wanted and not necessarily what we thought they might want um everyone's seen those those pictures right like what the IT project manager thought they wanted, what the customer said they wanted, what the right. So the idea is to be able to close that cycle a little bit so that we're we're building what people want as they as they want it. It includes things like even even our PIs, our product intervals, are only so long, only a few months in length. So we're always looking to the next roadmap to the next piece of product functionality. So that we can continue to build what uh what people want as those change requests come in or as the the public gets in there and starts uh Telling how best to improve it. The the real idea is that the the public get to see what they want to see in a way that's digestible for them.
2: I think that's going to be really important that, hey, I just want to see what the defense agencies or I want to see what these five civilian agencies are doing around this type of topic or this project or CIO ratings or whatever it is. I imagine the folks on the Hill and GAO and IGs as well will will enjoy that uh, additional capabilities. What was the biggest challenge with moving to the new dashboard? Was it the, there's always the funding challenge. Was it the timing challenge, or was it what do people want? Because everybody's your customer, or nobody's your customer,
0: right? Yeah, all, all the above, right? So uh, there's only so much money, and by the way, we still have the legacy site to support, right? So we have to uh, how do you how do you build the plane while you're flying it type of scenario? So giving the the legacy site doing what we had to do there in order to make sure it stayed secure and could still continue to to accept submissions while building two brand new applications the IT Collect and OGP visualization platform that then had to be secured themselves, go through the ATO process, built and developed uh, with our customers in mind to ensure they they met those functionalities, integrated with each other, integrated with uh, outside tools, tool sets, and all all with the same dollar, right? Like our, our budget didn't triple just because we're building a new federal IT dashboard. So it's, it's how do you get the most out of the dollars you have while ensuring you're, you're meeting the the outcome, the functional re- requirements of, of what the customers want to see. It's a, a very complex web of, of technical requirements and political requirements and, and functional requirements.
2: And speaking of paying for it, uh, I guess the big question people are going to ask is how much and from where did you find the money, so to speak? Was it appropriated? Was it something OMB was able to help out with through assorted funds?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it was all appropriated. Uh, the FY20 appropriations transferred the legacy federal IT dashboard from OMB CIO to GSA OGP, Uh, that's the organization I work in. Uh, At the same time, they gave the OGP a plus up of 3.5 million. Uh, With that, we spent the first year, FY20, ensuring it it was in good working order and securing it and sort of stabilizing the application. Uh, We spent the next year, FY21, both keeping the legacy site going and making sure it can still do its function uh, and accepting submissions, as well as planning and developing the new site and then in FY22, we'll be releasing the new site to the public and turning off the old one. The most direct impact that the public will probably see is that starting here in early March through mid-March, there'll be a coming soon page that'll be coming up. Uh, you know, coming soon, modernized IT dashboard with fireworks and candles and stuff. No, not really the fireworks, but that'll be up there for about two weeks while agencies do their their capital planning submissions. And then the new site will be launching right there around uh, mid-March as our plan. In fact, I think just today there was a, a teaser tweet that went out from the GSA accountant on this very subject.
2: Uh, there was, and I tried to click on it, and it took me nowhere. So uh, I was like, oh, what, what perfect timing. No. All right, so something to look forward to. I know this is uh, tied, obviously, to the president's budget request. So there's when this goes live, we, no one knows until the budget request goes to Congress. So it's something to look forward to there. All right, so I know this falls into the category of, Dan, what have you done for me lately? You've just been working for two, two years on this new dashboard. What comes next? So you're gonna launch it in March timeframe, hopefully. What What are some of the, between March and the end of, the end of 2022, what are you gonna be looking at? And what kind of updates are you already kind of starting to plan, think about, or, or looking to, looking, okay, user feedback will direct us in that, in, in, in what comes next?
0: All the above, right? So we definitely have a roadmap in mind. We, we never want to plan too far out, but you always wanna have a plan to start with agile software development. So in the, in the short term, we'll be making a lot of internal government improvements. The public will be able to see uh, go live, things like being able to compare your TBM data with other agencies, doing an advanced version of that for internal government consumption. Uh, and then really depending on, on agencies and the public for what they want to see next uh, in terms of additional data sources uh, or uh, additional visualizations. It, it, it's going to be a pretty robust platform. So it's, it's really a matter of, of where OMB and the, and the public want it to go.
2: I can't believe we spent the whole interview so far and and technology business management didn't come up, TBM. How much did that play a role into this dashboard? Because you have cost towers and you have all the different pieces and parts of TBM that agencies have been moving toward. And and just to be honest, I get mixed messages. Some agencies are better than others, and that plays a role into how well the API can collect the data. If my agency is better than your agency – what does that do to the data? So I guess the, the big question is TBM, where does that fit into this discussion?
0: So one of the programs under my purview is the, the government-wide TBM implementation PMO as we help manage the CIO Council's Federal IT Investment Management Community of Practice. That's under the new EOPS Committee. Used to be SSI, now they're EOPS. That's fine. Definitely been keeping TBM in mind, uh, holding with OMB's requirements for for TBM reporting through the capital planning investment control process. Uh, to your point, TBM implementation is lumpy at agencies, right? Not everyone is moving at the same pace or the same level of quality, but the the folks that work on the TBM PMO really do help uh, share those best practices and lessons learned across agencies. Uh, and then being able to display that data to the public, right? The most uh, an informed electorate is the, is the best kind of public for the, for democracy, a representative democracy in our case. Uh, and so being able to tell the public where those IT dollars is, are going, and then be able to compare them to other things, right? So one of the interactive uh, graphics I mentioned earlier in the agency analysis page will enable the public to say, I wanna see the TBM cost pool data for these six agencies and then they'll display, and then I'm gonna just see telecom or just see internal labor. And you can filter down and filter up and do comparisons across. And then to the, to the extent practical, hold agencies accountable, right? That's, that's why we make this data transparent. Is to, to be accountable to the, the public at large so it's it's a it's a cycle of course with reporting but uh we do really do hope that the transparency that comes through tbm and where those it dollars are going will then um, help inform leadership as they make resource decisions and, and help inform the public as, as they decide their priorities
2: i'll preface this question with this may be an omb thing and you may need to pass the buck which would be fine if you do Will agencies be updating this data that goes into the dashboard in semi real time monthly quarterly yearly is it is or is that something that's kind of outside of your control generally speaking uh
0: the the policy around it is outside of my control like what what OMB requires when uh, is is what they require when um, once it once they start the submitting process that's really where we take take ownership of it uh, historically speaking uh, data is submitted in in sort of two buckets. Right, it's, it's submitted as, as a part of the annual budget process, twice a year, once in the fall and again in the spring, uh, as a part of passback, and then uh, monthly data. So there's certain metrics, um, certainly data points that are reported on a monthly basis as well, uh, as required by by OMB. Uh, and so those are, are updated and and they're as soon as you hit click on the send, it is available on the on the on the IT dashboard. Right, there's no uh, lag time or nightly refresh or anything like that. So if the agency wanted to sit there and hit send all day, they, they absolutely could, although I imagine that that person probably has other duties to to accomplish as well.
2: All right, it's good to hear that 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 there will be updates and because that's one of the questions I had heard from folks is, oh, well, if that data is only once a year, as an example, how fresh will it be? It may be great in April, but by October, November, what, what's it really mean anymore? But uh, obviously that's I've, that's why I asked that question if it was kind of out of your control. Um Actually, if,
0: if I may, I wanted to build on it just a little bit because I, I mentioned earlier that the longitudinal data, but one thing that, that the new uh, IT dashboard will allow us to do is to see is to allow more frequent updates, right? As, as opposed to submitting your whole Exhibit 53 in the olden days or AIT portfolio uh, nowadays terms, agencies are unable to, to submit individual data points. So they don't have to update the whole file, they can send an update for just the thing that needs to be corrected or just the part that needs to be updated. Um, And then the public can see those updates over time. Um, So historically speaking, the IT dashboard basically froze for a period of time during the weird budget process. The new IT dashboard will allow agencies and OMB and the public to see those more regular monthly updates even during the budget process so that the public has a more transparent view into what's what's happening in the federal IT spend. Uh, so that longitudinal data will both be, what did I request? What did Congress appropriate? What did I spend? But also uh, enable that data to be updated more frequently during that weird sort of budget transition time.
2: There's several dashboards around government. Obviously the IT dashboard is the, the one that we're talking about here. Are you all working on other dashboards like the USA spending dashboard? Or, or I know that kind of falls outside of GSA's purview I know I think Treasury picked up USA spending years ago but but are there other efforts going on uh, that you'd want to just maybe offer a little bit of a sneak peek into?
0: There are a number to your point, a number of dashboards out out in the world today. Uh, and while as a government we certainly want to consolidate around what what the public wants to see, but we also want to be mindful that not every dashboard can rule every other, right? Like it's it's just not going to be feasible to have one place for everything. Um, so to the extent that we can integrate with other data sources and other dashboards and, and point people to the right place, uh, USA Spending is actually a great uh, example where the contract data that's being submitted to us, as a part of the data submission, we, the agency submit a contract ID, a contract number for, for certain major acquisitions, right? The public can be on my dashboard, federal IT dashboard, click the contract, it'll bring you to USA Spending, filter by that contract number. And to the extent that that number exists in USA Spending, it'll show you those results, right? So again, we don't need to be USA Spending. I don't want to recreate USA Spending. They've they've done a very fine job over there, but rather be able to, for the public, for yourself or my parents or whoever wants to, to log on, can go there, click it, and go to the place where that data exists without me having to recreate it or have to you know, spend more time and money um, trying to develop it all. So that's just one of the ways in which we want to integrate with other data sources and other dashboards rather than trying to inter interject them to each other. That makes sense.
2: Hey Dan, this has been a great conversation. I-, I learned a lot. I'm 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 so excited now to see the new dashboard when it comes out in the next month or two or so. Uh in the meantime, I will just uh live off your words until we uh until, until it's ready to be uh, uh, offered up. Let me thank my guest, Dan York, is the Director of Data Transparency for the Office of Government-Wide Policy in the General Services Administration. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time today.
0: Thank you for having us. Very happy to talk about all the great work the team's been up to. I'm
2: Jason Miller, and we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with the General Services Administration in the next two segments, talking about financial management and robotics process automation. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In the next two segments of the show, we switch gears and we talk about robotics process automation at the General Services Administration. I sat down recently with the former GSA chief financial officer, Gerard Berdurek Berdurik left GSA after seven years as the CFO in January. Let's focus on RPA for a little bit because I think that's an area where... You've talked a lot about it and, and gotten a lot of uh, attention over the last couple of years. You, you said about 400,000 annualized capacity, 100, over 100 automation programs. What was that like to get RPA started? And then how are you measuring the impact of RPA today?
1: So, so Jason, anytime you want to do something new or different for an organization, uh you really have to focus on that and it's easy to uh, continue with the current operations and things you do day to day. So um, the, the start of RPA really started uh, for me when I saw some of the demos at some of the conferences that other agencies were doing. So NASA uh, did this, they had a, a terrific demo. It, it got you excited, but then you leave that conference and, and, you know, you may or may not, have done anything. So I really got started because I thought we were behind and needed to get going. And I challenged the organization and I said, okay, can we, can we go learn how to do RPA and put an automation in production in hundred days? And so they uh, knew nothing about RPA they had to look at processes, had to come up with this and, 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 and see if they can meet the goal. Now, truth be told, we did it in 120 days, but you know, 120 is still good. Right. But but that kind of challenge and empowerment for them to go uh, figure that out was how we got started. And and I think the other thing that we did was we really focused on uh, short, some smaller wins, getting started, learning the technology. We actually asked our employees, "How many of you want to learn the technology?" Had fifty volunteers. We trained a dozen, and they started doing it part time. So so the entire effort was self funded by employees. We had some uh, consulting help uh, initially, but uh we we uh got this process going, learned about RPA, and then uh really what we strived to do was to be productive and to build a uh a, a factory that could produce automations. And getting back to aggressive goals, we had started and I, I said, okay, we're we're gonna have 30 or 25 by the end of this fiscal year. And and it was it was just just a goal, but we achieved those goals. So the organization was excited. Uh, they were empowered. Certainly, uh, we had a partner with our, our our IT team and CIO organization, and, and they, they're, they are a big part of our success. But we also um, got other parts of GSA excited about RPA, and we did automations for the public building services and, and, and other functions in
2: addition to CFO functions. Today, as you said, there's over 100 automations. That has led also to GSA also leading as the community of practice and across government wide and really trying to... Bring RPA not just to the CFO world, but but to any world that believes they can use it. And now we hear acquisition can use it, and IT can use it, and CFO can use it, and HR is using it. Maybe talk a little about there was a state of the RPA report that came out from that community yeah. of, of practice just recently. Maybe offer a little bit of comments about how you helped build this, not just at GSA but yeah. but across government.
1: When there's a, a new technology, HRs uh, get excited about it. They can talk about an application they have in place, but uh, at GSA we started right away with, with, we want to have an impact and, and, and make progress quickly. So uh, one year after we uh, uh, started with that 100-day goal, we, we had many agencies coming to us and saying, well, help us understand what you're doing, uh, how you're making progress, how you got started. And uh, it, there was a lot of that going on. So um, probably about 17, 18 months after we had started, uh, we decided to set up a, an RPA community practice. And, and the community of practice was not uh, simply so that we GSA could educate other agencies, but the community of practice was how other agencies across government that were advancing RPA could also work with agencies that were starting. So that was the uh, uh, that was the uh, initial goal of the community of practice was to uh, build the knowledge sharing and collaboration across government, and also. A lot of agencies had the same challenges that uh, they had to solve. So to the extent that we could come up with common approaches and solutions across the government, that would help all agencies be more effective. So that's that's how the, the community got started. And, and today, it's over 1,300 members, over 100 agencies. We have had, since the pandemic hit, uh, really focused on webinars. We've uh, had uh, an average of two a month uh, over the last 19 months over 9,000 attendees, government employees uh, uh, on those uh, uh, webinars. So it, it's, it's been an opportunity to, to bring the rest of government together. And we have a management committee that is comprised of leaders from 10 other agencies, and they're part of, of making this program work. So it's been significant opportunity for leaders across the government and different agencies to collaborate with others and other agencies and share uh, knowledge, and to work as as one overall corporate entity, and, and some, share some best practices uh, and try to move forward on RPA.
2: What does the organization look like today? How much difference are you making beyond the fact GSA? I'm, uh, I can almost guarantee you has a clean audit.
1: The first thing is just the buy towards action and change the organizational transformation. Um, we changed the structure pretty quickly. All the headquarter organizations, I announced a new structure uh, six weeks after I got here. And then uh, out of those 11 regional organizations, I I had to learn more about that, but uh, evaluated for six months. And then the next six months, we went from 11 regional organizations to uh, four zones. We recompeted the top four levels of management. Every zone had the same structure and they were able to collaborate on on best practices. So this new structure was put in place within one year and and really made a a difference in our operational results in the audit. Our our operational results metrics that were 90% are now at 99%. I don't even have to think about whether or look at the operational results each month, even though we have created over 50 dashboards we have hundreds of metrics in areas like fund certification, accounts payable, payroll operations, RPA implementation. And the organization knows that that these results are being reported. They're reported every month. And, and just by just the fact that you have these in dashboards, they're paying attention. The results have been good. I talked a little bit about uh, the uh, productivity improvements and efficiencies. So we, you know, we reduced cost and staffing by, by about 23% uh, over time, but I think we're doing more and uh, uh, providing more value. The employees uh, led a lot of process standardization, especially in the regional organizations. So, you know, I, I set up the structure, but the employees were empowered and excited uh, to come up with standard processes in the 11 regions. So we actually created community practices within the CFO organization on each of the functional areas, and they... And two years in, we had standardized 45 processes in our regional organization. The financial audit uh, has been strong. In 2015, we had material weaknesses, a number of significant deficiencies. Uh, the number of audit findings have been reduced by uh, more than 80%. Two of the last three years, we've had no significant deficiencies, uh, zero material weaknesses. So the audit's gotten better. But you know, one of the things that's, that's interesting, uh, if you think about higher operational performance, uh, reduce resources, uh, the financial audit getting better, compliance getting better is that uh, employee satisfaction increased 21 percentage points, went from 65% to 86%. Uh, engagement went from 66% in 2015 to 86% last year. So the Partnership for Public Service uh, does a best uh, places to work rankings uh, for the federal government. And out of the 410 organizations, we were number 19, uh, highest rated finance organizations. So, so the, the organization itself, just tremendous uh, performance. There's a high performing uh, leadership team that's in place that, that collaborates. And, and finally, uh, innovation and automation. We're known across the government for our RPA program. We have one of the, the leading programs in the federal government. We've done over uh, a hundred automations and we don't do them just for the CFO organization. We do them across the agency, close to 400,000 hours of annualized capacity. So, so that innovator automation uh, process, improvement efficiencies, employee satisfaction, it it just, uh, you you know, I'm really, really, really proud of of the team that's in place in the organization and what they've done. And, I, uh, you know, I ended up bringing only two employees from outside government into the organization. The rest were either from within the existing CFO organization or within uh, other parts of GSA and a couple from outside of GSA. So j- just just uh,
2: feel really good about where the organization uh, stands today. Gerard, on that note, let's take a quick break when we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Gerard Berderek the Chief Financial Officer at the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today is Gerard Bédaric, the CFO at the General Services Administration. Gerard, this is an exit interview of sorts as your last day at GSA is your last day at GSA was January 21st. We are looking back on the accomplishments you made and some of the uh, things you're leaving to do for the next CFO at GSA. When you look back over the seven years you've been there, uh, is there any area you say, oh, I wish I would have done more on or, or hey, when that next CFO gets uh, gets named, I'm going to call them up and say, hey, here's an area that, that you should spend some time on because I didn't make as much progress or some initiatives that I think I could have done more on?
1: When I think about what this, the next GSA CFO has to think about. You know, the real estate strategy for federal government that's something that the public building service has to work on, but the CFO uh, is right there working with them and thinking about how office space is going to change and what it's going to do. so 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 that that's that's a big opportunity for GSA and all agencies and and it's something that we have to think about. the cost of real estate per employee should prove it and that is uh, the, the CFO will be involved in in partnering with PBS. Uh, on those solutions. If you think about something a little more specific, one of my uh, home run goals was implement a new budget system at GSA in one year. That was not really possible, but but it got the organization moving. And I think the you know the the new uh, CFO, you know, we're working on a on a well on a budget solution that includes performance and financial metrics and operational metrics uh, as part of the solution. So it, it's Oftentimes, uh, budget systems are just about number of people, average salaries, uh, salaries ex- expense. But but if you can have the drivers, an example would be uh, the IRS uh, has to uh, uh, review tax returns, and you have the number of returns, the volume of work, uh, the productivity of the employees, things you can do uh, to improve the productivity. So at GSA, we you know manage uh, the federal fleet. You've got the cost of maintenance. You've got the the revenue per vehicle, uh, you know, so you can, so if you have a budget system that, that captures uh, the underlying drivers and operational metrics, you have a better understanding of, of what's going on in, in your business. Um, certainly, the, there are uh, opportunities within automation and, uh, and, and just technology and what we're doing. So that, that, that is another uh, opportunity where we need to continue the, the good work that's been happening so far.
2: Gerard, it's funny because you you talked a little bit about kind of more you could do, and and we didn't get to it, but but I think it's all related because one of the big pushes from the last administration under, under the president's management agenda was this idea of moving away from low value work and moving feds towards high value work, and I think that's where that automation discussion comes in. It is RPA, but it's more than just RPA. Maybe talk a little bit about the not just the cap goal Six per se, but but how are you viewing how automation can really move financial analysts and, and others toward that, that more important, if you will, more, more meaningful work. So the goal
1: of, of shifting from uh, low value to high value work is, is in addition to automation, what, what that allowed the CFO office to do was to talk to agencies about transformation, best practices, process transformation, uh, workload elimination and reduction, uh, as well as, uh, Innovative automation technologies and RPA. So, so that was uh, that's a real opportunity to do that across government, and and that should uh, continue because that's something that all agencies uh, need to do. And one of the one of the initiatives that we identified, one of the important benefits of RPA is its process optimization and standardization. So. We do not do uh, any automation for one region. We force the regions or ask the regions to come up with one process, one optimal process, and we automate uh, that. So, so process improvement, process standardization is a big benefit of automation. And uh, as a result of that effort, we had an initiative called "Eliminate, Automate, and Optimize." So uh, that that's been a focus within uh, GSA and and has been very helpful. As far as how we work across the government, I think one of the big things uh, about the community practice was was just helping the government to learn better how to work as a cohesive team. Uh, you're not a bunch of discrete organization entities. So building that collaboration and teamwork and the knowledge sharing across government was something that was a bigger goal. So I, uh, I think we looked at our goal as, as helping the rest of government, not just helping the the CFO office and, and the RPA community of practice has been uh, uh, a good example of that and the success in RPA across the federal government. So today, uh, programs are focused on how many automations they're delivering and and what what type of capacity they're freeing up. And there's much more uh, about how much progress they're 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 making. And we have a maturity matrix that has helped to set that up. And, and finally, the the employee experience. Uh, you know we. Uh, Back when we were in the offices at GSA, employees would come and say, "Hey, we have a great example for an RPA automation." So they were excited, and they still are. But but the employees are part of of coming up with with these opportunities, and it really is, is an opportunity to enhance their experience because of of, uh, of how you help them to be more impactful with with the time that they're working uh, each day.
2: And in many ways, if your employees are excited, if if the folks you're saying, "Hey," To, you know, grab this bull by the horns and, and ride it, they're going to be better for it for, for many reasons, not just the success of the initiative itself, but they'll get excited for their job. They'll stay longer. It's all about retention and, and keeping folks, because as we know, whether you're in government or private sector, keeping folks is really the, you know, getting you know, the, the institutional knowledge is so important, which is why I always say it's sad when folks like yourself are leaving.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Having employees excited about the change management because Jason, when I came in, I, I, said that I had to do changes right away. Not everybody understood them, but uh, but then once we uh, put the structure together, they were a part of, of designing how they worked and they were excited about it. The employees have seen the benefit. Uh, we've seen the payoff um, in, in terms of their uh, satisfaction. Uh, you know, they want RPA, they want uh, automation. Uh, you know, they, there's a culture that's uh, not about... Um, uh, you know, we're entitled to things, but it's more about uh, we want to be part of a winning team. Uh, you know, and a winning team is creating a lot of value, and and the employees want to be part of that. And, and RPA and automation uh, helps them to do that, and, and and they they don't want to do work that's uh, uh, that's unnecessary and doesn't have value. So that that that's been uh, a tremendous. Uh, Uh, reward for me to see the satisfaction that the employees have had on having a more impactful, productive organization and and, and making a difference in in what they can do and the value that that they create each day.
2: Gerard, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Let me thank my guest. uh, Gerard Bedorek is the CFO or the outgoing CFO, I should say, at the General Services Administration. Gerard, thanks so much for your time today. And of course, thank you uh, for your service to the country.
1: Uh, Jason, uh, thank you. I've had a wonderful time on the federal government. I appreciate this uh, opportunity to speak with you.
2: I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
1: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.